Welcome to another edition of the Sports Rotation. As always, I'm your host, Jay Butler. I want to thank you for being in the rotation with me. And appreciate you listening through Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher.com, thesportsrotation.squarespace.com, my favorite, thesportsrotation.squarespace.com, and also for listening through TuneIn Radio. A lot of stuff to get into. Uh, first things first, though, I want to talk about what happened in that Rockets game. The Rockets playing the um, Boston Celtics last night, blowing a 26-point lead. And, you know, while I was watching this, I was actually flipping back and forth between this and uh, other things because it was a blowout. So I was looking for other things to entertain me on TV. And I came across this movie on FX, The Gambler. Starring Mark Wahlberg. And I just happened to read the synopsis. Mark Wahlberg as a college professor who's stuck in some type of money issue with the mob. So he has to go out and borrow more money in order to get from underneath the claws of these uh, nefarious people that he's dealing with. And I'm thinking to myself, I could have really just stopped at Mark Wahlberg as a college professor. There are certain things that I don't buy. There are certain things that you shouldn't buy. And you don't have to be a, a high-ranking executive in the movie industry to understand when there's a plot that involves a certain actor or actress that just doesn't work. I remember when I was younger and I was watching James Bond. And yes, I know James Bond deals in, in things that are not based in reality. But Denise Richards, as a scientist, really... Really, Denise Richards, you're going to try to run that one by me. Yes, I know that James Bond is a one-man wrecking crew who's taking out all of these bad guys, explosives going, going off all over the place, but you're trying to pass Denise Richards as a, a full-fledged nuclear scientist to me. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to work. And it, it, that reminded me of this whole entire situation with uh, while I was flipping back and forth and I saw this thing with Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is a college professor. Yeah, that's something that I'm buying into. Oh, look, <laughs> there's the uh, Matt Damon movie commercial that just came out about him downsizing. That's really going to be a, a, a Hollywood A-list movie that a lot of people are going to shell out at least $15 to attend. Yeah, not buying it. You don't have to be a top executive to know when something is going to be a flop. Just like you don't have to be a cook or a chef to know when food tastes terrible. Why am I saying all of this? While I'm looking at this Rockets game, I'm looking at them just blow through a 26-point lead. 26-point lead. Heading into the third quarter, it was down to 14. Going into the fourth, got it down to six. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is supposed to be the team that is going to give the Golden State Warriors a run for their money. Because you added Chris Paul. Now, I understand adding Chris Paul is a smart move. Anytime that you can get a smart, 
playmaking point guard who plays a little bit of defense, who can run a team the way Chris Paul can run a team, you add him. You, you, you put intelligent people together. It, might not, work, it not, might, might not fit perfectly, but if you can put those two types of people together, you do it. But I'm watching James Harden go 4 for 17 in the fourth quarter. And yes, we've all seen this movie before. Get used to it come playoff time. So I'm supposed to buy into him getting over Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors. Oh, wait a minute. Chris Paul, hurt again. We've seen that movie before also. I'm supposed to buy him and James Harden coming together and being able to usurp the talent level that the Golden State Warriors have. Mind you, Golden State is playing ridiculously out of their mind. Defensively, they're the top team in the league. And they still don't have Steph Curry on their team. They haven't gotten to the point where they've made other teams play their style of basketball up-tempo. Trying to guard the three-point line while also switching off on guys who are going to the basket. But I'm looking at them, and, and I know it's one game. And I know they're not playing at home. But, like, to, to actually buy them as an NBA or potential NBA champion is just ludicrous to me. Doesn't make any sense. And I'm looking at James Harden. I love James Harden. James Harden's play is amazing. There's nothing that you can do to take away from James Harden, but he gets to play in a system that gets to inflate his stats. Oh, really? I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you really think that Steve Nash, two-time MVP, do you really think that Steve Nash was as great as what he was if he isn't allowed to play in that system of Mike D'Antoni? Where he's able to just, hey, everybody, go to the three-point line, we'll spread you out, and we'll play pick and roll. Seven seconds or less. Yes, Steve Nash was great. One of the greatest NBA shooters of all time. But do I really think that he should have beaten up guys like Shaquille O'Neal for MVP? Like Kobe for MVP? Really? No, I don't think so. But we've seen this in Mike D'Antoni's offense. We've seen it several times. Sean Marion got paid because of playing in Mike D'Antoni's offense. Joe Johnson is still getting paid because of playing in Mike D'Antoni's offense. I mean, shoot. Linsanity existed. Because of him playing in Mike D'Antoni's offense. I don't know anybody who, who didn't succeed while playing. Well, actually, I do, you do know some people. Melo didn't like playing in Mike D'Antoni's office because, well, even, even with the years back that he was the coach of the New York Knicks, Melo's game was starting to take a nosedive. People just weren't really paying that much attention to it because he was still putting up the points. And, yes, Dwight Howard did absolutely nothing in Mike D'Antoni's office because the center position is, well, it's pointless in his offense. If you can't shoot, you don't have a mid-range game. Sorry. But Amari Stoudemire, yeah, Amari Stoudemire, possible, uh, was in the running for MVP. 
And no, you can't say, oh, well, because they got hurt, or not because he got hurt, because he was suspended that one game, they actually could have beaten the, the San Antonio Spurs. They weren't going anywhere with that offense. And they're not going anywhere with this offense. I don't care how many three-point shots they put up. In this particular offense, they are not going to be able to stop other teams from scoring. They're just not. I've seen this movie before. And it's getting old. Getting back to the game. I thought that those were two wonderful calls by the referee. Wonderful calls by the referee. All too often we see late in the games, we see that the uh, referees tend to swallow their whistles. They don't want to call anything on the star players. Oh, they don't want to, to, to give the audience or give the crowd anything to come down on them hard about. They want to let those stars play out in the final few seconds of the game. And let me tell you something. Marcus Smart played it as perfectly as you possibly could. It was a sell job. That's what you do in those particular type of situations. It's like when you're in the movies and you're watching a guy, like you take, for instance, Rocky. And Rocky's just taking hit after hit after hit. And he's just, you know, bobbing his head back and forth like it's barely affecting him. Well, A, those are the movies and that's not really what's going to take place. And B, if you want the refs to call something, you got to actually put it on them to make the call. And that is what Marcus Smart did. Smart move by Marcus Smart. Brilliant move by Marcus Smart. Now, I'm not saying all of this and going on this rant and talking about how the Houston Rockets are not going to do anything in the playoffs just off of this one game. No. It's their entire way that they are built. There is no way that I see this team, this particular team as constituted as being able to get past the Golden State Warriors. Period. I want to segue into this. A lot was brought up with the state of the Dallas Cowboys. People are still talking about the Dallas Cowboys. And that's one thing about being a Dallas Cowboys fan. Even when they lose, you still win. Your team is still relevant. Here we are talking about a team that has been eliminated from the playoffs. There's still one game left, and people are still debating what's going to happen with the Dallas Cowboys. That's when you know you're relevant. No one's talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars, who arguably have one of the best teams in the NFL, aside from the quarterback position, of course. Anytime Blake Bortles is leading the charge of your team, I can't really anoint you as being a top-tier team. But I will say that they are a top-three team. You throw in Minnesota, you throw in Jacksonville, you throw in the Patriots with Tom Brady. Those are my top three. I know Minnesota is doing their thing with Case Keenum. I know their defense is playing out of their mind. But I, don't buy, I buy Case Keenum less than I buy Blake Bortles, which that's, that's saying a lot about what I think about Case Keenum. But I'm looking at this situation with the Dallas Cowboys. First, it was, oh, man, overboard. Oh, we got to abandon ship. We got to totally dismantle the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Garrett's got to get out of there. He has absolutely no idea what he's doing. And then, you know, and I'll be honest. I was one of those people. 
I was one of those people who thought that same exact thing. But then I took a deep breath. I had to look back and I thought exactly with what I was saying before. You don't have to be a, col- a, um, a movie executive to know when something's going to bomb. Just like you don't have to be a brilliant cook or chef to know when food or the ingredients of food don't necessarily go well together. Or a particular type of food doesn't taste great. You don't have to be brilliant to recognize uh, something that's truly bad. But I, I look at this situation with the Cowboys. If the Cowboys were really, really terrible, because it's easy to spot terrible. It's easy to spot incompetent. If the Cowboys were truly terrible, we would be able to totally be able to identify that as a situation that it is. And that's just not the case. You look at the the key stats that the Cowboys were in the top five of. Third down conversion, they were number five. Time of possession, they were number nine. Turnover ratio, still in the top ten. That's not a poorly coached team. That's a a fairly well coached team. They're just missing a a few key ingredients. Key ingredients being... Who are my wideouts? Who are the weapons that Dak Prescott is actually throwing to? Because when you think about what was expected out of the Dallas Cowboys, they accomplished what everybody thought they were going to accomplish. They had a ridiculously hard schedule based off of the the, um, schedule that they had from last year and the amount of success that they had in getting to the playoffs. That was the schedule that they were going to be facing coming into this year. Not going to have a first place schedule next year. Not going to have to deal with that. What you're going to have to deal with is addressing the the wide receiver position. And the most important person in the wide receiver position that you have to address is Des Bryant. There's an issue with Des Bryant. And it's not just him and Dak not being on the same page. Cause, and you think about it, even Dak came out and said, well, I guess I'll have to just put it on his helmet and not give him a chance to drop the ball. I can't believe that Dak actually said that, actually. But now Dak is coming out and saying how, oh, they're, they're very good friends. Uh, despite the adversity that they face on the field, they'll still be able to make it through. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There is one way that I see this working out. And it doesn't have anything to do with cutting Des Bryant. Because Des Bryant is still a key part of the Dallas Cowboys. You're going to need him. You need somebody with hands like that. Although, I got to eat those words a little bit this year because it seemed like he was dropping balls left and right that he should have caught. Or that he normally does catch. But the one way that I see them being able to move forward, because you're not going to cut him and he's not going to take a pay cut, as what he brought out earlier, not interested in taking a pay cut, not interested in restructuring his contract. The one thing that I've always thought about this Dallas Cowboys offense was that it was too simplistic. It was too easy to understand the scheme that was going on with the Dallas Cowboys, especially with lining up Des Bryant on the outside. You put him on the inside, you put him in the slot position, he's a matchup nightmare. It's the same thing that happened with Larry Fitzgerald three years ago when Bruce Arians came to him and said, we want to move you from the outside, we want to put you on the inside, move you around a little bit. 
And, you know, understandably, being a number one, there was a little bit of uh, pushback from Larry Fitzgerald on that. Wasn't too keen on the idea of not being that top guy, that top threat on the outside. But the bottom line is, Larry Fitzgerald was never a burner in the league to begin with. And the speed that he had was starting to dwindle. Put him in the slot position, and he's still going to the Pro Bowl this year. Putting up Pro Bowl numbers. Not that that's anything to really write home about, because the Pro Bowl, I mean, let's face it, guys do what they can to get out of playing for the Pro Bowl. But I am saying that he has been putting up steady numbers in, those, in the past three years that he's been playing with Bruce Arians' offense. Move him around. Move Dez around. He still has good hands. He can still be a matchup nightmare. But you've got to move around guys. you got to put more speed guys on the outside and allow the middle of the field, which is where Des Bryant, with his physicality, with his athletic ability, can actually shine. Almost like the way Gronk shines in the New England Patriots offense. Move him around. I don't understand why that's so difficult. But the bottom line is, the Dallas Cowboys do have to upgrade their wide-out position. You're looking at this team, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Tyron Smith doesn't go down. If you don't deal with Ezekiel Elliott's suspension, if um, Sean Lee doesn't get hurt, you're probably looking at a 9-7, 10-16. They still have a chance to finish 9-7. Unfortunately, Missing the playoffs, but they still have a chance to actually finish in that position. But this is not a huge problem. This is not an overhaul that we're looking at. We're looking at something that needs to be addressed. And when you think about the way they're positioned, they have a very talented offensive line that did take a step back this year, but they are still talented when it comes to being in the trenches playing up front. You still have Ezekiel Elliott, and hopefully he has his head screwed on tightly. Hopefully he's learned from the mistakes that that he's been involved with, even though I said that the NFL didn't have anything to really suspend them on in the first place. And I'm still adamant about that. But Ezekiel Elliott can't be your top guy that you build your offense around. It doesn't work like that in today's NFL. It's an easy fix for the Dallas Cowboys. You just got to get some speed guys on the outside. Get some guys who can catch. Jarvis Landry comes to mind. A lot of guys come to mind who are going to be free agents. Allen Robinson, free agent. But moving Zeke, or not moving Zeke, moving Dez, getting rid of that contract, don't think that that's in the best position of the Dallas Cowboys. There seems to be an interesting thing that's going on with my Chicago Bulls. And it's funny looking at Twitter and watching the reaction of people on Twitter as the Chicago Bulls uh, continue on on the success that they've had. They've got eight wins in the month of December. And a lot of that has to go to um, Nico coming back. But an even bigger part of that has to do with uh, the way Fred Hoiberg has balanced this offense out, has really um, put together a tight unit of guys that he's been playing. But it, it, it's funny. like In the, in the interaction that I've had with, with uh, Chicago Bulls fans, it's like 
there's this this very difficult conundrum that they face. You want to root for them. You want your team to win. But you also want them to lose so that they can get a top draft pick. I, I don't want to be one of those people who are, saying, who are rooting for the, the uh, Chicago Bulls to lose. I am enjoying this team. But I feel like I'm having to explain to, to people on Twitter. It's, it's almost like, like um, feeling ashamed because you're watching porn. This isn't porn. This is actually an entertaining team that you're watching as they're taking on NBA-level uh, or top NBA-level teams. You don't have to make excuses for it. Like I said, you're not doing anything wrong by rooting for your team to do better. We keep saying, oh, we want this team to go through the rebuild. We want them to go through the process. Look at the teams that have been going through the process. Look at the Philadelphia 76ers. Look at the Orlando Magic. Look at the Phoenix Suns. Look at those teams and tell me that you really want to sit around and just accumulate young, somewhat talented players and hope that eventually, after five or six years, they'll finally get themselves together. Oh, and by the way, you'll also find a head coach that can nurture that talent and put them all on the same uh, level of thinking and get them to playing as a, 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 a quality team. You don't have to make excuses for it. You're not doing anything wrong and wanting the Chicago Bulls to succeed this year. And they're doing an excellent job of the success that they're having. And they're doing this without Zach Levine. It's so funny. The amount of people who, when they traded Jimmy Butler away, and Jimmy Butler, great player. Borderline superstar player. Even though I question that as a borderline superstar player, if you are up 2-0 and the Celtics' top player is dealing with the death of his sister and you're heading back home, I expect you as a superstar player, given what you have around you, to make it out of the first round. Didn't do it. Jimmy, you needed to go. But I remember when the Bulls gave up Jimmy for Levine, done and the number seven draft pick they were getting killed they were idiots people wanted them fired there were people who were who were uh, getting banners putting up banners around the city of chicago trying to get people to fund their uh, fire gar packs and now you're looking at done done was looking like a bona fide nba point guard and he might turn out to be one of the best NBA point guards in the league. Markinen, top-level rookie. A big man who can knock down shots from the outside and who plays the best defense that I see anybody play on Kristaps Porzingis. I've never seen anybody play defense any, any better on, on Porzingis. And you're talking about a 7'3 guy who can get a shot off on anybody. And I'm watching Dunn. Not done, but um, Markkinen block his shot like it's nothing. Anticipate his moves. Make him work for every single shot that he took. Every single point that he made. And then you have Zach Levine, uber-athletic player, 
probably more athletic and more gifted player than Andrew Wiggins is going to be. I think that the upside of Zach Levine is way greater than Andrew Wiggins. I, I always get killed when I say that out loud. People look at me like I'm strange. And I say to myself, I don't think you know what you're talking about. But you don't have to make excuses, Chicago Bulls fans. You don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to feel like you're in the closet looking at something that's improper. Enjoy the ride. Come out of the darkness. It's okay. Your team is doing okay. You might not get a top five draft pick, but the top the top five draft picks in the last NBA drafts for the past 10 years, it's like a 20% chance of actually hitting on guys that are impact players. So don't feel bad about it. Embrace it. Don't look towards making the playoffs because that's getting a little bit beside yourself. But embrace the fact that you have an actually talented team to watch that is entertaining. And isn't that what it's all about? Entertainment? Well, I want to thank you for being in the rotation with me. Thank you for listening through Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher.com. Uh, and the sportsrotation.squarespace.com. Again, that's the sportsrotation.squarespace.com. Hit me up on Twitter, which you can do it at jbutler08099392. That's at jbutler08099392. Again, thanks for being in the rotation. I'm out.